Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Lords of Limited. My name is Ben Warney, and joining me on the line, Mr. Ethan, the draft philosopher himself, Sax. How's it going, my friend? I'm doing great, except I feel I didn't get the memo, and I feel woefully underdressed for this morning's <laughs> recording. Yeah, you you're know. looking you're looking dapper if you're watching on YouTube. You know that Ben is looking sharp this fine AM, rocking the the suit and tie. We got a concert immediately after recording here, so I am gonna split and head off to uh, educate the youth of America, conduct the youth of America. Excuse me, in a fine musical performance of holiday holiday music. Oh my goodness! What, uh, what can you give us a little preview of what what renditions we'll be seeing? What's the grand finale? the The best piece is called Boomwhacker Christmas. You know what boomwhackers are? Those like plastic tubes that are pitched. So we have eight adults that are going to be wearing hard hats and then kids play the boomwhackers on their heads like interspersed with the band. It'll be fun. I think it's going to be a good time. That is fun. I like that. My uh, 11-month-old just discovered those at the the local toy library and he he likes them quite a bit. He mostly likes to try and grab them and watch them roll across the floor and then crawl after them. It's just endless hours of entertainment. He sounds exactly the same as my middle school progressionist. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, so I can't believe that this is what we're going for with this week's title. I just didn't have anything better to do. But uh, yeah, we are going to be talking about our our draft philosophy here this week, though it's not really dinosaur related. Honestly. Not dinosaur related, but a sneak peek behind the curtain here. I got, I got a Discord message from Ethan that said, I had an amazing thought last night. I woke up in the middle of the night with an idea for an episode title that had fossil instead of philosophy. And then I woke up the next morning and realized that those words had nothing in common with each other. And I was like, I don't know. I got a nice ring to it. <laughs> got a nice ring to it. So yeah, so I think we're, you know, normally about whatever, three episodes deep, four episodes deep to the format, we might be trying to focus in on something. Or maybe we thought about doing, you know, our little like, let's do our how we would prepare for the pro tour, like top commons and uncommons pick order thing. A little weird because there isn't actually a pro tour. So I think we're just going to be trying to maybe clarify some things from last week, touch base with where we're at on the format. We haven't really talked about, you know, the the sort of black sheep of the format, which is black, <laughs> and talk about, you know, how to perhaps maximize the worst color in the format, the big air quotes, worst color in the format, and look at some draft logs and show like how we're navigating things in terms of maybe sticking to a plan as early as pick one, pack one, or maybe bobbing and weaving a little bit as uh, as I think you can do sometimes. So that's sort of the scope of what we got going on this week. First things first, before we get into that, some housekeeping stuff, let's talk about the Patreon page. Patreon.com slash Lords of Limited is where folks can go to get back to the show if they so choose. The show, of course, will always be free, but we have some great perks over at the Patreon page. Everybody who gives back via the Patreon gets access to the Lords of Limited Discord. You know, it's the season of giving. You want to give back to us by becoming a patron. We want to give back to you by giving you awesome perks like Discord access, like access to the show a day early, access to our show notes if you want to see the episode in written form, access to a private section of the Discord, and even access to monthly coaching sessions with me or Ben. So if any or all of that is of interest to you, if you're, you know, it's it's the season of giving and you're trying to treat yourself as Ben might be with his beta basics, I think this is a, a great little thing to uh, to give yourself if you're trying to invest in in your magic future and your magic community. And of course, we want to shout out our new patrons the first week that they join. This week, we're welcoming Kayla, Scott, Justin, Julian, Kennefus Prime, and Che. Thank you, thank you, thank you. We really appreciate your support. Yeah, I cannot say thank you enough. Show is also brought to you by Cool Stuff Inc., coolstuffinc.com, where you know they have cool stuff in stock. Ethan's been talking about the holiday season and coolstuffinc.com is where you should be doing the shopping for your gamer loved ones of choice. Whatever you need, they've got it there. Whether it's stocking up on those draft booster boxes before draft is officially dead (laughs) and we have only play boosters coming up in February with murderers at Karlov Manor. That's the name of the format, I believe. Well done. Nailed it. Uh, and other games as well. So whatever you're getting for those loved ones, or maybe even for yourself, please make sure that you use checkout code LOL, all caps to get 5% off your order and let coolstuffing.com know that we sent you over there. Boom. All right, let's, let's clarify some things from last episode, Ben, because I think, you know, we used the big word, the big swear word, the F word forcing. Is that really what we're doing? Is that really how the, the best way to describe what we were doing in the format last week? Well, you caught me off guard with that a little bit. That was not in our show notes. And I was thinking about it. And I was like, well, I'm pretty close to doing that. But I don't think that's 
what it is. I kind of want to try to describe the phenomenon of, of what I was doing. For me, and I did say this last week's episode, but it's more about drafting a deck with a cohesive plan right from the get-go and trying to make sure that I can play as many of my picks as possible in that deck with a cohesive plan. And I think what that was doing unintentionally, I think I was off on card evaluations, like on some enough key card evaluations and archetype evaluations that drafting in that manner, like that felt uncomfortable to me and was going against my nature as a drafter, which is to bob and weave and, you know, really try to find the open lane and get hooked up. I think that was actually causing me to evaluate cards correctly, like cards that I should have been picking anyway, and maybe wouldn't have picked because I wasn't assigning them enough value. You know what I mean? Like it was actually getting me to draft the right way for the format, but framing it differently in my head than just having the correct card evaluations. You know what I mean? Like, so for example, I would pick staggering size in a spot where I thought, eh, this isn't good enough to pick, but it goes very well in my deck. Mm. And then I'm just ending up getting to play a very good card that I'm probably not high enough on. You know what I mean? Does that make sense? Yes, I think so. I'm, I'm glad you gave an example. I was going to ask you to clarify. So so you're saying that this idea that you presented last week of like, I'm, I'm going to keep calling it forcing, even though that's not what we're saying, but that this idea of of perhaps weighting your, your early picks more, drafting a cohesive deck, whatever, then caused you to, you thought what you were doing was like maybe taking hits and power level that you were forcing you were okay i want to stay green for polani's hatcher so i'm gonna take staggering size here but that was actually just giving the proper weight to a card like staggering size so this mentality shift allowed you to perhaps properly evaluate some cards in the format that you weren't in previous weeks yes i completely agree i think there were like about five to twenty ish comments like somewhere in that number that's quite a spread that's quite (laughs) a spread like of the cards that you would play with that i was either too high or too low on you know we always talk about like that mental chart you have in your head of how how things are weighted and Mm -hmm. what hits you're willing to take in power level and i i was just calibrated wrong and i think drafting in that manner forced me to calibrate correctly, even though I hadn't quite assigned the proper value to those cards yet in my head. Yeah. Do you have another example off the top? I love the staggering size example. That really resonates with me. I think also just bumping down cards like Miner's Guide Wing. Mm. Um, so for example, would have would have been very willing to aggressively take Miner's Guide Wings. And I think that's wrong. Like looking back on it, I think some of the advice we gave, like certainly Miner's Guide Wing into, you know, putting a plus one plus one counter on it is a, a good way to put a lot of pressure on your opponent in this format. But it's also very easily answered and it's kind of fragile. And I think after the first like three or four days of the format, people were largely ready to combat that strategy. And I think I kept doing it too long into the format. We didn't talk about this last week, but the format feels to have slowed down quite a bit. You know, not only in best of three where we were messing around before the arena opened, but also in best of one, I found just like, you know, the 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 slower decks we'll talk about, I think how control decks, whatever, slower decks, control decks, however you want to put it, tick in the format a little later in the episode. But I think those strategies are certainly open and available and quite competitive. I don't think it's just like, I mean, again, still, I think the philosophy of the or the philosophy way to work in that episode title. (laughs) Thanks, bud. Of the format starts on turn one is still quite true. But I don't think that leads to blisteringly fast games, you know, game over on turn five, turn six, that sort of thing. Right. I think I think that is a great way to like kind of sum up where I went wrong. Cause I, I, I mean, if you're losing as much as I was losing, I was getting unlucky, but I, like also in doing something fundamentally wrong, like that has to be true. I think for, for me to have taken that big of a hit in win rate, I think I was really proud of us nailing Jeskai and blue white, like week zero, like after doing five drafts or whatever. And the whole for, format starts on turn one thing. Like I really felt like we got it right. And I do think that still holds true, but I think I went like way too far in that direction. Like, I think I overcorrected that way way too much and wasn't taking into account plans for the mid game or the late game and then would sputter out or would have draws that weren't quite aggressive enough, even though my deck had a lot of ways to be aggressive, you know, and I just think I wasn't seeing the whole picture of the farm, which is weird for me also, because like, if you think about it, like, I feel like certainly lately the last year or so, I've been the biggest champion of level two decks, like in a lot of the formats, mm-hmm. rather than like Jeskai, which is level one here, right? Like the, the blue, white, the blue, red, the red, white, 
And certainly I think red, white, a step down from blue, white and blue, red. I think it is less good than those two decks, Mm -hmm. but that it's been a while since I've been drafting the deck that everybody else is trying to draft at the start of a format, you know, Mm -hmm. like if you think about Lord of the Rings, like red, black was the thing to do there for the data. And I wasn't doing that almost from the get go because I found my own other thing that worked um, that I liked to do. And I do think Sam Black was really on to descend and black and these grinding archetypes from early on. And shout out to him, like a, a lot of the stuff I think at least my perspectives on black. I haven't listened to him talk about it, but I've seen enough of his lists and other lists. I think that were inspired by what he's doing in the format that, you know, shout out to him for seeing all of that and how to make it work right from the get go. Yeah, for sure. So we, we sort of touched on this, but just to really hammer home this level one, are these just guy decks, which we're talking about like blue, white, blue, red, and I think we're going to talk about the level two and below stuff a little later in the episode. Like what, and not really the like, if people are zigging, this is how you zag. It's just like, these are the other strategies that are available to you. And I do find that more often than not, because of people focusing on level one, they're more available or you can get the ceiling is perhaps higher on those decks. Yeah. And I, but I think the caveat of those decks, like this was a reminder for me as well, because I, I have not played a ton this past week. I've played when I, I can, but it's been very busy. But I have been thinking about it a lot. And, I, you know, I really talked myself into all these black descend decks, just how to frame them and things like that. And then I did like a, one of the qualifier play ins mm-hmm. and had an absolutely bonkers black green pool everything you could want like all of the mill two cards you know triple of the the mill two one one death touch and good removal i had the bringer of the last uh gift or whatever it's called the demon that flips your graveyard it was it was a dream pre-constructed black green sealed pool and i was like oh this is great i'm gonna be one and done this is awesome and i promptly o2'd to like two above average blue white decks i mean like because i was just in not the best color pairs in the form. I had a very good black green deck and I, I do still think there's a significant power level gap here. And one last gripe about the format before we no. get into this. Yes, all right. yes, yes, all yes. Right. yes. All right. I finally realized this, this was an epiphany for me. This is the, the most succinct way I can describe what I think is wrong with this format or why it doesn't appeal to me is that when you're exploring, you're hoping to hit a plus one plus one counter, not a land. And that is so backwards for me. And I'm rooting for my opponents to draw cards instead of get a plus one plus one counter on their flyer. Like that, that's, you should be hoping to hit a land with Explore, I think, in a good draft format. I don't understand this gripe, but I, I you know, you are an equal co-host of the show, so you <laughs> use the platform however you please. You, that doesn't feel backwards to you? Do you think that's true that you're hoping to hit a plus one plus one counter off Explore? I think that's true. I don't feel like, th- I don't feel like that has to be a bug. It can be a feature. Oof. Isn't that you could frame it as isn't that kind of cool that like you expected this mechanic to be a certain way and it's the opposite sort of except like it's so bad when you <laughs> miss on hitting a plus one plus one counter like if you yeah. take a mana to explore under your flyer and you whiff and draw land instead it's very detrimental yeah <laughs> like that that doesn't feel great yeah I think that's definitely true all right let's take a quick break and we'll be back with A word from our dear friend, Amaz. This podcast is sponsored by BetterHelp. You know, Ben, I loved the thing you talked about last week with possibly giving a little treat yourself gift of some more beta basics. I think it's really important during the holidays to be kind to yourself. Exactly. It's so easy to get lost in the shopping shuffle and stress of gift giving that you might forget to give a gift to one of the most important people in your life yourself. Whether or not your family gives gifts during the holidays, you get to define how you give to yourself. And the holidays are a great time to do that. So whether it's by starting therapy, going easier on yourself during the tough moments, or treating yourself to a day of complete rest, remember to give yourself some love this holiday season. I feel like there's nothing more universal than your family driving you nuts during the holidays and having someone to talk to to prepare for these gatherings or to debrief afterwards can be incredibly helpful. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists at any time for no additional charge. Find your bright spot this season with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash Lords today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash Lords. And now, back to the show. All right, Ben, where is the format at right now? I was feeling this quite a bit and then saw this tweet from Amaz, and I was like, amen, preach. This is exactly what I've kind of been feeling and having problems with in drafts prior to kind of shifting things around. 
His Twitter status says, this is from November 30th, so three or four days ago, but I still think all this certainly holds true and is going to continue to hold true a little more deeper into the format. 30th draft trophy on LCI, highest win rate set I've done. If there's one tip I'd give drafters right now, it's to avoid white, worst color in the set, and super overrated as well. I, I'm not going quite that far as worst color in the set. I think there's a little bit of hyperbole there, but someone asked him a follow-up to elaborate, and his response, which was much more measured, is white has really low-statted creatures, fairly weak uncommons, do agree there for sure, and most cards require something else to function, like it's flyers needing a plus one, plus one counter, but more importantly, it loses the late game versus every other color. And I do find that that is true. And I think that's where I was running into a lot of trouble when I had forced too far into the format starts on turn one, formats blisteringly fast narrative that we had kind of spun out. Yeah, I hadn't, of course, because I never do like put these sort of like concepts or these feelings towards like this. And I agree there's a bit of hyperbole there, but I'll co-sign this. I have found white, you know, there's an issue with white that goes back to what you were talking about last week with like your deck really has to be focused. And if there's just a few pieces off, it can feel bad. I think when you've got like a really focused white, red or white, blue aggro deck and white, green, I guess too, but I, I haven't had those myself yet. When you have the, the focused white aggro decks, white does that very well. So it doesn't win the late game, but like that's not what your deck is trying to do. So that's fine. Your deck is trying to win the game as fast as possible. Where you get into trouble is when you're a white deck that isn't trying to do that. And somehow you're still like, well, I could play some Miner's Guide Wings. I mean, Miner's <laughs> Guide Wings not too bad, right? And like, well, then I'll play some Iron Paw Aspirants. And then you're just like... It's a, it's a very slippery it's slope. Just, it's a very slippery slope. It's hard. Like, I think White plays a good support role with its removal. We've talked about Sawblades. We've talked about Cosmium Blast. I think even Petrify. Dusk Rose Reliquary. White has really good cheap interaction at common and uncommon. Its bodies, however, don't play well in that defensive space or in that non hyper aggressive space that I think you get into trouble if you're just a few clicks off from that kind of strategy. Well, and one of the biggest things is if exactly what you said, if it doesn't work great, you end up understated and like sometimes even like medium dinosaurs decks just kill you way faster because their creatures have four and five power and you have one and two power on your evasive things like if your draw yeah. didn't line up absolutely perfectly or maybe you went all in on that miner's guide wing and your opponent had the abrade to snap it off when you got it up to three power and then follows up with some dinosaurs like there's just a lot of ways to lose the game as a white player so i think going back to our color power ranking and we had kind of shifted white up equal to blue i, I think for me it is blue one red two kind of white and black tied for third and i do still think green is in last largely because i feel very strongly at this point right now, the blue is still the best color, kind of my going back to my initial thoughts, but that green gets a huge knock because it doesn't play well with blue. Yo, you saw I think you saw that tweet, right, from uh, MTG Data Science. Yes, not a data boy, but I mean, like you, you know, you always feel like blue green <laughs> is the redheaded stepchild of, of the draft architects. Yeah. Seeing it on paper like that was a little... Uh, eye-opening so mtg data science posted a, they, they had aggregated all of the color pairs win rates um, or trophy rates i guess from like every format that was available on 17 lands and basically it's like red black in the lead then all eight color pairs coming up next like pretty close together what was kind of interesting was all four of white's color pairs were in the front of that eight pack and then huge drop and then there's blue green, just <laughs> sad and lonely. I think I think we may have to shout out blue green for the last time on the podcast. You know, I don't know if that's a <laughs> shout out for, for those old listeners. Shout out to blue green. <laughs> yeah. From the Eldraine days. But yeah, pretty, pretty stark there for blue green. I think that's a really good point. I do think blue definitely still feels like the best color to me. And, and I also like so I like green with black. I like green black descend a lot. Obviously, green red dinos is great. Like I said, I haven't really done much green white aggro in the format myself. But yeah, green is just, it just feels like you've got to be so clear, right? There's not a lot of overlap. That's what blue does so well, is it sort of like toes the line pretty well between artifacts and value and craft and aggro. And like it, it you can, I think 
you don't have to sort of narrow in on what your strategy is so early, but you do kind of have to do that with the other colors. Right. Blue does let you stay more flexible in the draft for sure. Yeah. If you if you can manage to start blue. But the other thing I want to dial in on just quickly to get your opinion on, because I, I have a thought on this and I'm curious where you're at for red, green dinos. Everybody just keeps saying red, green dinos. Mm. I think there's many flavors of dinos and it is not quite clear how to build dinos other than the dinosaur tribal is a theme that is supported by red green but i haven't really heard anybody dive into exactly what an ideal dinos build looks like where are you at on the like low curve beat down spectrum to the ramping with poison dart frog to larger dinosaurs spectrum yeah i think my gut says don't ramp with poison dart frog except pathfinding axe is so good like the fours that you get are so good. Like in my mind, I'm like, well, if you want a ramper, you want the Ixalis, whatever, the the one drop green on common that ramps, but only for dinosaur spells. But I think that's a little too narrow and it's not that important that you jump from one, one to, to three. three. Right. Like, sure, you can get the armored kin collar on three, but you know, not not a huge deal to get that that early. But I think getting Axe or Colossodactyl or Dino Tomato on turn three <laughs> i mean that, that is well, that's how it's spelled right dino, i knew exactly what you meant no <laughs> <dino> tomato <laughs> that i think poison dart frog probably does belong in that deck even though in my mind i'm like don't play a two mana one one in your aggro deck because it's not an aggro it's like a mid-range deck right it's like I, it's like red green garbo from modern cube i don't think it is i, I no? think it's i think the best versions of dinos are low to the ground this was another epiphany i've had our card evaluation change i guess is that that one in a red 2-2 that turns into a 3-3 when you're brawling with dinos. I think that's the key. Like, I think Mm. you want those. And then just happen to have dinosaurs to turn that on plus staggering size. Like, those are the ones that beat me the hardest, are like the super low to the ground aggro staggering size that have that that 2-2 that turns into a 3-3 when it attacks or blocks. Yeah, staggering size is definitely, I think, such a huge player in that deck. It's probably why I haven't drafted it that much. It's just because, like, as I talked about last week, just hard for me to calibrate staggering size. That's probably just a personal note. Perhaps t- as we near the end of the the calendar year, a 2024 resolution is to not underrate the green combat, combat tricks. tricks. Trample. Yeah, yeah, I think so. So uh, w- taking a broader look at the format, and I'm curious to see how you view this too. It's kind of settled for me into three pillars, which are artifact aggro decks or or artifact control decks, but artifact decks, artifact synergy decks, dinosaur beatdown, and then black based descend control. Like that those are the three tenants of the format. Feels a little generous to give dinosaur beatdown its own pillar. Well, but that kind of yeah, I agree, but it is there and it doesn't fall into either of those other buckets, I guess. But, so it almost has to have its own pillar. Doesn't blue, because I feel like it's just like, no, I guess that's true, because like the blue control decks are the black descend decks. They're black descend decks that just use blue's cards well, yeah. Yeah, I guess you could have like heavy blue with a couple white removal spells, like white as a real support color if you were control. But yeah, and I think you can play blue-white control as well. So mm-hmm. it, yeah. I think maybe that's not quite all of them there. Because blue, yes, blue white, I actually like better as mid range control than I do hyper aggro at the moment. Because that, when you think about the Master's Guide mural, like that's what that that card is telling you: like get this game to go as long as possible, and you will win. Right. That and clay fried bricks. Both those cards are just oh insane. God. That card. Speaking of the just getting dumpstered in the the qualifier plan yesterday, just that just feels like the biggest overperformer win the game on turn two card for me. Like every time my opponent played clay fire bricks, I was like, well, I lose. I don't, I, I don't know how I can beat this. It's tough. <laughs> card is really, really good. Yeah. So I like that, but I agree. And I think it's, it's kind of right to not have white aggro as a pillar here. I think once you shift that out of a pillar, you know, going back to Amaz's tweet, I think you will have a better framework of the format for sure. All right, let's take one more quick ad break and then be back with the rest of the show. If you haven't finished your holiday shopping yet, don't panic. What if you haven't started your holiday shopping yet? Okay, you can panic a little, but there's still time to find incredible original gifts with the help of Uncommon Goods. UncommonGoods.com has the absolute best gifts for everyone in your life. We're talking moms, dads, brothers, nieces, nephews, even podcast co-hosts. 
Yes, even podcast co-hosts. Uncommon Goods has unique and creative gifts, often handmade by independent artists and makers. You know, Ben, you are not an easy person to shop for. No interest in coffee, alcohol, or cooking. I even found, but cannot get you, a hilarious The Dog Father hat, <laughs> since you're not a pet owner. But luckily, Uncommon Goods reminded me that you're a new homeowner, and I think I found something you'll really like. From art and jewelry, to kitchen, to home and bar, Uncommon Goods has something for everyone. Not the same lackluster gifts you could just find anywhere. No gifts ungiven for our listeners this year. To get 15% off your next gift, go to uncommongoods.com slash LOL. That's uncommongoods.com slash LOL for 15% off. Don't miss out on this limited time offer. Uncommon Goods. We're all out of the ordinary. All right, so we talked pillars of the format, and let's get into some of the packages of commons that go up in those pillars, because just because I think we haven't really dived into that sort of thing, and we're Mm going to get deep into Descend and Black Control here, but just kind of key cards for that archetype. Another chance, that's the Tuna Black Instant, Mill 2, Rebuy 2 creature cards. What that's essentially doing for you is letting you tutor for your best cards right you're that's an aggressive way to describe it but yeah sure (laughs) in a in an ideal version of the deck you're churning through your library and dumping Mm -hmm. them into the graveyard and when you mill your bombs and you draw your another chance it's just like a second copy of your best cards i I really do think that is its best function in descendant black control and also letting you just grind and out two for one your opponent in the late game it ensures that you are going to win the late game i think generally yeah there's Deathcap Marionette. This might be the single most important card to the archetype. One in a black, one, one, Death Touch, Mill 2, alongside Mineshaft Spider. I would have told you both of those cards were certainly Mineshaft Spider replacement level at the start of the format, and they are irreplaceable if you are playing any sort of descend strategy. Also, along with if, if you're a blue-based descend strategy, this isn't on our show notes, but Sage of Days, the, the two and a blue three, two that mm. dumps three into the yard or lets you keep one. Like you just have to be able to proactively fill your graveyard regardless of what your opponent is doing. Yeah. The more you can utilize your graveyard as a resource or the cards from your graveyard as resources or whatever, if it's, you know, it's not quite Theros Beyond Death style of like, you know, three cards in your graveyard equals a card um, with the, what was that mechanic called? I keep, all I can think of is Eternalize. Escape. Thank you. But it's not, so it's not quite that, but but it is pretty strong. Like the more you can, you know, your your death cap marionette mills and then it dies and then another chance mills and gets back your marionette and then your marionette mills again. Like you really feel like you're doing it at that point. Well, you also skull cap snail, I think, goes up a little bit too. Once you start valuing another chance higher, you know, initially we were saying like this doesn't really have a place in the format. But I do in these black decks that are trying to grind the opponent out. You play your Skullcap Snail, they exile a card, you chump with it, you play another chance, you cast it again. Like it it does get pretty annoying, like the second or third Skullcap Snail <laughs> that you're casting, you know? Yes. And in conjunction with a card that I I have to apologize for, not like publicly on the podcast, I never called it out, but I might as well. Deep Cavern Bat, you would be astonished at how high that is. In the overall uncommons, no, I would not. That card's incredible. It's number three. That would not shock me. It's incredible. It is backbreaking. When I've played it, it's so easy to win games, and when my opponents play it, it's so hard to win. It's everything you want. It's disruption. It's pressure. It's defense. Like all for two mana. And then when they deal with it, you cast another chance and bring it back, and you take another card. Yeah, no, it's it's excellent, and I think Skullcap Snail really is like you know the the sad budget version of that, but it's still pretty good. You know, you talked about chumping. It's also like you don't feel bad about okay, yeah, I'll just double block my one one and my two two against your armored kin caller because I know I'm gonna another chance it back later. You're right, like that sort of redundancy of, and I would even say I forget the name of it, but the, the two mana uncommon artifact that lets you snag an artifact or, or creature out of their hand, and then you can flip it into a five four menace that mills two. I think that there is this nice like redundancy package of hand disruption with bat that uncommon artifact and snail that like they all sort of buoy each other up. And that also helps make snail feel better. Yeah, for sure. And so looking into another archetype, green, red, beat down dinosaurs that we touched on a little bit earlier, but just to reiterate here, the most important card for that, I think is actually burning sun cavalry, which would not have been on my radar a week ago. I would have thought that card was 
hoping to not play, but I do think it's a, a key card in those dinosaur decks. Mm-hmm. The one in a red 2-2 that when it attacks or blocks while you control a dinosaur, it gets plus one, plus one until end of turn. That and the combat tricks, Ancestor's Aid, the plus two, plus so first strike, make a treasure. You know, winning a combat and then ramping to an even bigger dinosaur the next turn is pretty oppressive. And staggering size, just closing out the game, giving plus three, plus three and trample. And we've touched on Atali's favor the last couple of weeks as well. And I do think having played with it a bit more and played against it more, I do think this green red beatdown dinosaurs deck is its absolute best home. Yes. No, t- totally, totally agree. All right. Enough of this aggro talk. I'm going to talk about control decks in the format. Speaking my language. Well, that is where I've been leaning and having the most success recently with black based decks, certainly, which I think is hilarious because I mean, it's, it's, it's really on brand. I feel like I have returned to form in terms of everyone saying black is terrible and I'm out here just like, you want to keep passing me chupacabras? Okay. I guess so. Like speaking of cards, like <laughs> that card is so broken. Yes. Chupacabra is illegal, completely illegal. Ch- chupacabra echo. But yes, it does feel like ravenous chupacabra. It is, yeah, it is ravenous chupacabra with an extra point of power. Isn't yes. it a 3-2? Yeah, it is a 3-2. Good Lord. So, you know, we've talked about control decks a lot on the show in the past, and it's the same kind of recipe, but I think just knowing the specific ingredients from LCI is really important. Cheap interaction is the name of the game for these decks to function. I mean, you need a lot of pieces for the deck to function, but I think cheap interaction really, really helps you. I've been championing Deadweight from the start. I do still think it is Black's best common, and I think part of why people perhaps are struggling with Black or think Black is weak is that Deadweight doesn't seem to be doing that well for them. It seems to be going pretty late. It's pretty low in the data rankings of top commons. I have still been very, very happy with Deadweight. The double whammy of killing something cheap early and adding to your descend is just like exactly what the deck wants to do. Um, so not only is it adding for a descend trigger at your end step if your deck cares about having descended that turn, but you know it just sits in the graveyard as a permanent. Tithing Blade, I've really gone on an emotional roller coaster with this card. <laughs> but the thing that I finally have wrapped my head around is that you don't need to flip it. Flipping this is like kind of gravy, kind of maybe like you're you finish them off with it. It's not you're never like getting them from 20 to zero with two flipped tithing blades. That's just not how this deck performs at all. You might flip it, flip one at some point, but the conjunction of tithing blade and deadweight together of deadweight can handle the one drop and the two drop, and then Tithing Blade is answering the three drop or the four drop while you're able to double spell is really powerful. Then it's something for you to sacrifice to fanatical offering, maybe. You know, you you can utilize that rectangle on the board as an artifact. You're just not flipping it. So I think once I separated that idea of like, oh, I have to flip it, this is my deck's plan, I understood Tithing Blade a lot better. So there's a black removal spell that you have not mentioned here, which mm-hmm. is join the dead. One black, yes. black, instant, minus five, minus five. Where are you at on the mixture of those cards? Like in a black control deck, what is the numbers of each of those removal spells in your ideal black descend deck that you would like to end up with? I know I want the most dead weights and I do want join the deads. It's just not ch- quite cheap enough. I don't want to, I can't call a three mana removal spell cheap interaction because What I want out of my Join the Dead is I'm like, okay, when the dust has settled, if you happen to have a token around and my Tithing Blade can't, you know, get your Pathfinding Axe Jaw out of the way, I need something that can deal with your larger threats. And so that can be Join the Dead, and I'm happy to play one, two, three copies of Join the Dead, depending on what my curve looks like. But I'm also happy to get that piece of interaction from a different color, right? From whatever color I'm pairing black with. Dare I say, I'm not happy to do it, but I'll play a Ray of Ruin if my curve says I can. If I don't get a Join the Dead, you know, Ray of Ruin sort of does that. It just does what I'm trying to do, which is, hey, can I answer your, I got to answer your six drop. Okay. I I need to do that, you know? So I do think Deadweight and Tithing Blade are more important than Join the Dead, but I like all three. That was a very politician answer, sir. You have not answered my original question. I need need ratios and numbers for a skeleton. Uh, I would say three, two, one. Three Deadweights, two Tithing Blades, one Join the Dead. That's interesting. I think the reason I'm trying to dial- Or two, two, two. uh, That's closer to where I'm at. I think I, I would want, I think like 
two dead weight. Like I think my gut says like two dead weight, one tithing blade to join the dead. It's but I dangerous don't have- to it's dangerous to put numbers on this because then we get tweets of deck lists <laughs> and then people are like you said to play two 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 and I o three with this. Like so you're setting me up for failure here. No, I'm not trying to do that to you at all. I, I'm trying to dial in on. I, I'm certain I'm higher on join the dead than you are, and I'm trying to put my finger on why. And I think. I was thinking about it while you were talking about this stuff. And I do agree with your dead weight tithing blade, you know, tithing blade handling the bigger stuff. If you've got the dead weight, the biggest issue I found is dead weight doesn't answer a lot of the premium rares that come down on turn three. Like it doesn't stop a lot of them in their tracks, like the ones that snowball super hard. That's a lot to ask of you're like, what I'm mad about with my common one mana removal is that it doesn't answer the three mana bombs. Like, yeah. Sure, but sure, but join dead, join the dead does, which I think is why I'm a little higher mm-hmm. on join the dead because I, I found myself losing to with dead weights in hand, losing to those types of rares or losing to dinosaurs. Like I think dead weight also matches up quite poorly against dinosaurs. Yes, I agree with that. I do think, and this came up just because I was like streaming randomly the other day, and someone was asking me about my sequencing with dead weight and tithing blade because you know mana efficiency is king, but you really have to like. If you have Deadweight and Tithing Blade in hand and you can cast either and Deadweight's going to kill the thing, you have to cast Deadweight to sure, kill the yes. thing. Agreed. If you sequence that incorrectly, you're going to have a bad time. And also you have to know when you're like, look, shrinking this Pathfinding Axe Draw to a 2-1 or even a 3-2 is what I need to do this turn. Like You have to do that. You have to be okay. Because one of the things that I think these black decks do well is two for one themselves because they're going to accrue that value later on. And so if you have to two for one yourself early in the game, you can be okay with that, right? Like if they play an Inti and it's growing or the threat is growing because of Inti, you're going to have to do what you can to get that card off the board. And if it's two for one yourself a couple times to get through a trick, that's what you got to do, you know? Yeah. I agree. And I think black does that very well. Recoups card advantage. I completely agree. A, a braid, obviously, cheap interaction. All of white's cards that we shouted out earlier, saw blades, Cosmium Blast, Petrify, Duskrow's Reliquary. The next thing on this list that goes in conjunction with cheap interaction is defensive speed. I think chief among these is Deathcat Marionette. Again, a card that has just so risen in my estimation from the start of the format because what it does so well is, first of all, trades with any big dumb dinosaur basically, unless they're activating their cavern stomper or whatever, so it can't block. But Marionette's just really good. Again, don't be afraid to trade this off on turn two, right? You just play it and trade with their their two drop, their one drop, whatever. That's part of what this card can do. Um, Shipwreck Sentry, you know, you shouted this out early as like, this is an aggro card. I gotta say, Mo Piranhas <laughs> has, not, <laughs> has not disappointed, especially if you know, your rare that was a common for you last format was Goose Mother. For me, it's Throne of the Grim Captain. I am a magnet for that card. <laughs> and Shipwreck Sentry has good types for the uh, for the throne as well. Um, so just like cards like that, whatever. And I think it's important to note something that I had been lumping into this category, which I have stopped, is River Herald Guide, the two mana one two with Explore in blue. For exactly the reason before is that yes. I'm just hoping to hit a plus plus one counter. And when half the time it draws me a land, I'm mad because now my I'm like now my two drop can't trade with anything. Right. Shipwreck Center is just a much better because it always comes down to three three. Right? <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah, it's so but it's so backwards. I, OK, I, I'm not like, going to get into it. <laughs> I hear what you're saying. But again, I think like I think that mental shift is a, that's why we love limited is that like it's like, oh, actually, in this environment, Shipwreck Sentry does the thing better than River Herald Guide. You but would look put at River those Her- two magic cards side <laughs> by side. Like when you're evaluating cards, yeah, yeah, River Herald Guide is a world's better, like quote unquote, Magic the Gathering card. Not in Ixalan where it's backwards day. <laughs> <laughs> Not in Ixalan, I agree. And I, I, the more I have come to terms with that and accepted it for what it is, the more I have been winning in the format. I agree. And then reasons for the game to go long, right? You can't just have a deck of cheap interaction and defensive speed and think you're going to win the game. Once you've set yourself up for this, how are you going to close? And, you know, bombs, there are bombs aplenty. They're not only cheap. There are some expensive bombs, but you can also win with expensive bombs. We've got a draft log I think we'll maybe get to a little bit later that's one of yours where, like, you just take the the three mana, three, three white angel that um, if you gain five life, you get to poop out a four, four, and you can pump it to make it a five, five lifelink. You just pack one, pick one that, and then you just draft. You're like, 
I'm going to get the game to go along. I'm going to recur this card. If they kill it, it's going to be great. Sort of what you talked about with drafting Glyphbridge last week, where you're just like, I picked Glyphbridge. I built my deck around finding Glyphbridge, and I won with Glyphbridge. Like that really, there are bombs in the format that let you do that. Sweepers are incredible in this set. And that brings me to talking about caves a little bit. I mean, we're, we're going to talk about card advantage as a, another piece of this puzzle. And I think caves are a big part of that, the hidden lands. Like when you're able to, hey, the dust has settled, crack this hidden land, crack this hidden land, getting spells from your hidden lands, even if they're just two drops, is still something. Recursion from black, we've talked about not only the three mana common, but defossilize is just excellent. awesome. I love that card. Craft is card advantage, right? You're getting a second spell out of your first, you know, you're you're turning your spring-loaded saw blades into a 5-5 vehicle. You're turning your clay-fired bricks that found you a land into this massive, you know, two, two, twos plus pump for your whole team. Discover is card advantage, right? Tacked onto, you know, appropriate cards like Appraiser, like not just playing derpy five mana things that say three things can't block, discover four. That's not really card advantage. But I do want to talk about caves because I think, it's not plan A in draft, but I have backdoored into caves quite a bit and been really darn happy with it. I think it's actually real. Another sort of roller coaster. I think perhaps showing the the dangers of us swinging too hard in the Jeskai direction in the early weeks of like format starts on turn one. It's a Jeskai format. You can't afford to stumble, yada, yada. All those things are true, but there's there's some nuance, there's some zhuzhing to be done with the caves deck that I think really does exist. And a lot of it is not pack one. I mean, you can, but it's about not pack one, pick one in the Calamitous Cave-In. It's about noting it and seeing it pack one, pick nine. And wheeling it. And then, you know, you end up with seven or eight caves. Yes. And you have like a package with a Calamitous Cave-In. Yeah, that's the, that's the best caves deck. I agree. Like the audible into a caves package mid-draft. When you yes. when you haven't seen other powerful cards. Well, speaking of, would you like to hop into a roundtable? I would love to. Great. Well, pack one, pick one. Pretty easy to sort of echo a, a, a draft or a pick we looked at last week. We've got a Polani's Hatcher, three red green for a five three. Dinos you control of haste. You get two oh one green dinosaur egg creature tokens at the beginning of combat on your turn. If you control one or more eggs, you sacrifice an egg, then create a three three green dinosaur token. Easy peasy. Pack one, pick two. Not so easy peasy, or is it? I think this is easy peasy for me. What are you? What are you easy peasying here, sir? So I am easy peasying defossilize, which I see as the card that you took, which is four and a black for a sorcery. Return a creature card from your graveyard to the battlefield. That creature explores, then it explores again. If I'm three colors in the format, it's very likely that I am in Jund. That has been my most most common three color combination. And is that because of the recursion that black provides for powerful cards? You're like, all right, I'm going to be three colors, but it's because I got the stuff to that's making that worth it. And then I'm going to use black's recursion, whether it's defossilize or viper or the common three mana. Yeah, it's been it's been for Polani's Hatcher a lot, honestly, like I've been black green splashing. Yeah, yeah. Hatcher. Yeah, so I take a defossilize here. Again, you know, like staunch crewmate is I think if this were pack one pick one, that's like the best quote unquote card. One on a blue, two, one. When ETBs look at the top four cards of your library, you can reveal an artifact or pirate card from among them and put it into your hand. Like, I, th- I think if this were pack one, pick one, that's what I would take a really strong two drop in the best color. But once you have Hatcher, Defossilize just skyrockets. Well, skyrockets. And also, like, it's kind of what we talked about last week. When are you moving off Polani's Hatcher to like try to get deeper into blue for staunch crewmate? Like if you're faced with choices again, you're always steering towards Polani's Hatcher. Correct. Right. Well, it's it's if I take staunch crewmate here and then just decide to draft blue, but it's make I'm making a decision no matter what, you know, it's not that I'm like, oh, I'll stay open. It's like, no, if you have Polani's Hatcher, you, you want to draft towards that. Right. Well, and there are cards like Rumbling Rock Slide, Dino Tomaton here, Dino Tomato, excuse me. Yeah. yeah. But <laughs> that is really what it says, isn't it? Wow. It's Dino Tomato. <laughs> Dino Tomato and never put that together. <laughs> but anyway, th- those cards just aren't quite good enough. That's where like, I, I don't want people to start, like, I want to clarify from last week, it is not forcing like because you could say well last week on lords limited they said to not hedge and to not pivot it's not that like you do still have to be selective and i think that's more a nod to how good defossilize is yes rather than like that you wouldn't play a dynatomaton or a rumbling rock slide alongside polani's hatcher right yeah exactly and then pack one pick three i think a clear follow-up 
at least for me, I'd be curious your thoughts. Oh, I got, I got, I got a wait, wait, wait from Ben here. So for me, a clear follow up with dead weight as a okay. I'm, I'm already in black with defossilize. I get my cheap interaction here. I know that I've got a bomb. I've got a way to recur that bomb. I want the game to go along. Let's get cheap interaction. So talk to me about what jumps out to you in this pack, sir. I mean, I see the dead weight. I'm more. I guess I don't know. You've you've had you've just uh, dead weight's done something wrong to you. I want to repair the relationship between <laughs> the two of you. I you faced too many two threes. I think I have lost a lot with dead weight in my hand. Wow, this is wild. When you mouse over the cards, you see the data. That is you, crazy. You, you've you've done. I wish I wish I knew when, but you have done this before on I the have. show. Yeah, a new discovery every time. <laughs> Armored Kincaller. Mm-hmm. is in the pack as well. That catches my eye. I could be convinced that you're supposed to take dead weight over armored kin collar here though. It's tough because then like with this pack, you're basically saying I'm blocking and splashing Polani's Hatcher. Like the benefit of taking armored kin collar here is you could still not play defossilize and just draft mm. green red dinosaurs. I think that's yes. why my heart wants to go towards armored kin collar. But for me, it's close. I would say I, I don't know what is right, but I, I think it's a close pick. I think it's a great way to frame it because for me, I'm just so much more inclined to draft a black deck right now than I am to just be like, oh, I'll just draft green red. Like (laughs) weirdly to me, green red doesn't feel like maximizing Polanyi's Hatcher. (laughs) That is backwards. (laughs) Well, once I have Defossilize, it does feel like I just want to wait to like get this into play as many times. I want to find this. And I'm going to cast it as many times as possible. As possible, right. Red green doesn't do that. Red green. Right, right. Yeah, yeah, black green does it better. I, I agree. I, I'm kind of in for the dead weight pick here. You're kind of selling me on it. I also do like black Descendex better, I think, than red green dinosaur beat down just as an archetype for me to pilot. Yes. Yeah. Pack one pick four is really interesting, I think. I, I I had a tough time with this pick, especially after taking dead weight. You could make the argument to get deeper into black, get another recursive spell for your Polani's Hatcher in Soul Coil Viper, two in a black, two, three, pay black, tap sack it to return a creature from your graveyard to the battlefield with a finality counter on it. And then the best card in the pack, I don't know truly what it's doing here. <laughs> pack one pick four is Geological Appraiser, two red, red, three, two, winning ETBs if you cast it, discover three, about to be banned in Pioneer tomorrow i assume i found this pick really difficult i'd be curious to hear your thoughts i would take geological appraiser like soul coil viper is on plan but it's not a like for example i I like it less than defossilize because when you when you draw it late like there's a whole turn delay on when you can get the thing back a geological appraiser is just absolutely incredible. It, it's on the ravenous chupacabra tier of premium cards in the set. And I think one of the questions I had about this descend deck was, can you do it with commons and uncommons? And I think chupacabra echo, I keep calling it ravenous chupacabra, but chupacabra echo is good enough that you can do it with commons and uncommons, but you do need chupacabra echo. You need the bat, the one, one life linker that takes a card out of their hand. You do need some premium uncommons, but I don't think you have to have the rares to want the game to go long. I would also shout out hoverstone pilgrim. That's the five oh. mana artifact two five flyer ward two, and you can pay two to bottom something, um, from a graveyard to the bottom of of the library for either you or your opponent. I think that in conjunction with Black's Recursion allows you, because the Turbo Self Mill really does exist, I think in Blue-Black specifically, you can get there with Black-Green too, but Blue-Black Turbo Self Mill is so real that Hoverstone Pilgrim starts stacking your library pretty easily. It already sort of protects itself with Ward. If they happen to kill it, you can recur it. If they exile it, it's <laughs> you're in a bad spot. <laughs> but I do think you can get there as well with that little package. Yeah, so I, I agree with your selection of Geological Appraiser here. Yeah, I had your your voice in my head of like, it's just too powerful, don't pass it. And I that's what I landed on. And then I took a Skullcap Snail in the next pack. Not much to speak of. And then pack one, pick six is where I see a Calamitous Cave-In. And I've already got a control shell here. There was a Gargantuan Leech in the last pack that could wheel, but this is about where, I mean, you don't have to take it. There's an Idol of the Deep King you could take. You know, you start to get into Black Red, Splash Polani's Hatcher territory, and that's totally fine. But I think you're just so clearly incentivized to be a control deck at this point with Deadweight, Snail, Hatcher plus defossilize. Like you've got all you you're starting that recipe with some of the best ingredients and calamitous cave in then gives you, you know, a sort of firm stamp direction of where you want to go. Yeah. I like it. So I just think like 
Caves are great. Calamitous Cave-In is the best thing to do. It's like the reason I think you – it's really hard to sell me on getting into caves without it. But I'm sure I'm sure you can. But I think it's you know it's the main reason to do it because it really helps you make up the like oh you tapped land tapped land whatever. And I do think you probably need to get you don't need to get into it in pack one, but pack one really helps because because then that lets you set out for not only wheeling some caves hopefully, but then you get to sort of know the lay of the land a little bit better in terms of got to take this cave here. Maybe I can wheel this cave. Because if you get into it later in pack two, you might end up in this awkward spot where going into pack three, you're like, any on-color caves I have to take no matter what, that's a really terrible spot to be in. Well, and one of the other things you haven't mentioned here is you're kind of in this one when you pivot for cave-in, drafting caves alongside descend and being able to mill caves mm, into your graveyard yes. to turbo charge up your calamitous cave-in is a huge part of making calamitous cave-in powerful like yeah. when you when you play your death cap cultivator and it mills a cave out of one of the two cards like that's big game towards like having your calamitous cave-in actually be a wrath when you need it to be a wrath because that's one of the problems with cave-in as well is sometimes like it only does two damage and you need it to do three you know Mm-hmm. So just to sort of hammer home some some points or some thoughts I've had about black, I, I just cannot state enough. Don't be aggressive. It just, black, black cannot do it. Yeah, yeah. Don't be aggressive. Don't be aggressive. <laughs> like black can't do it. And that's okay. But because I've, I've even tricked myself a little bit of like, I get that black rare, the like one mana, one, one menace that grows if you descend, get that into a Zoyo Lava Tongue. And I'm like, this is it. I'm going to draft a red black. No, you're not going to do it because it just can't <laughs> happen. That's not what black does best. And once I started to frame Zoyo Lava Tongue as, oh, it's not an aggro card. It's a it's an attrition card. It's an attrition card. And just like we've talked about with the the, the Death Cap Marionette, the two mana 2-2 two, two Death Touch you got to trade that off. Great. Don't be afraid to trade it off. Maybe you'll get it back later and it'll start attritioning them, uh, you know, in in future turns. Like once I started to just frame it as no matter what you're doing with black, it can't be aggressive. If you're pairing it with white, stop putting my, stop thinking you can do the mind. No, don't put Miner's Guidewing in your deck. Don't try and get tricked with whatever Bartolome. Like you really want to take advantage of Descend. I think blue, black does it best. Black, green, second best. Reanimate packages are huge. I think this is where red black plays a, a really fun role with Sahili's Lattice, being able to discard cards, volatile wander glyph as well. And you don't have to attack. Like you just get your sunshot militia, get your wander glyph. You're you, you know, you know, you're just, hey, I'm not, I'm not attacking. I'm not crossing that red line. You don't need to do it. I think still be wary of black white. You can you can easily, this is I think where it's so easy to have that four or five cards just a touch out of place. Yeah, you know? I agree. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Tough spot for sure. But I, I don't I don't see the hate. I don't see the hate. I think black is great in the format. Yeah. Well, and if you look at where we graded cards, like pre-context of the format, mm-hmm. black has a lot of cards that are graded highly. Like black just has a lot of good Magic the Gathering cards. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That I think that we just didn't understand how to put into a functional deck at the start of the format. And some of that goes back to what I was talking about at the beginning of the episode, where like the pendulum just swung too far in certainly for me. I, I don't know about you, but I, yeah, I just yeah. tunneled way too hard on the format starts on turn one, white, be aggressive, all that sort of stuff and and ignored what black had to offer. And I think like the impetus behind it was well-intentioned. It just got out of control. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I think we weren't perhaps then thinking like, okay, if this is true, we didn't then take the next whatever scientific method step of, okay, if if that's true, then what's next? Right. Yeah. And I think a lot of that is contained in black. Yeah. Okay. We're going to take a look at another draft log here. This is the, the draft that Ethan alluded to earlier, where pack one, pick one, you sit down and you see Resplendent Angel as probably the only option. There's a Master's Guide mural as well, which is a very good card, but Resplendent Angel is a bomb. I want to just, just throw it out there because I've made this mistake myself with Master's Guide mural. Don't try and splash this in blue-black. Because you don't have enough artifacts. Well, and you also... But craft is white-white. Like, oh. what I... What I always, I'm always like, oh, I could splash this. This is really powerful. And then I get to the game and I'm like, how am I crafting this again? <laughs> now I've just put a... I'm splashing a five-mana 4-4 four, four in my deck. Like, it's not good. Yeah, I have not had the desire to splash that yet. But I will be on the lookout. So you take Resplendent Angel. It's one white-white for a 3-3 three, three flyer. At the beginning of your end step, if you gain five or more life, you make an angel. 
Sarah Angel, that is, 4-4 Flying Vigilance Angel Token. And you can pay three white, white, white to give it plus two, plus two, and lifelink until end of turn. Yep. B-b-b-busted. Pack one, pick two. You see the following cards as options. This is where my draft philosophy has changed a bit. So mm. there's there's Tithing Blade. Uh, ETBs, each opponent sacrifices a creature, one in a black artifact. Deadweight, black, minus two, minus two. There's no good white cards to pair with your Resplendent Angel. There's no good blue cards to pair with your Resplendent Angel. And then we take a look at the uncommons, and the best of them is Eatskeenth, Firstborn of Gishath, Red Green for a 2 3 haste. Whenever it enters the battle, you move pay two. When you do target dinosaur, you control deals damage to its power to another target creature. So I assume, so you've selected Deadweight here. Mm-hmm. I assume your changing philosophy means you would select Eatskeenth if this draft were today? Yeah, no, 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 no. I, I would still take Deadweight. Oh, okay. Like my gut, though, like my gut as a drafter is to want to take, I have to fight my instincts. Like my yes. instinct is to want to take Eatskeenth here, saying, yeah. like, I'm willing to move off Resplendent Angel if Dinosaurs is open. And I think the answer to that question for this format for me is no. Like Resplendent Angel is good enough that I'm going to play Resplendent Angel at the end of this draft. So I, so I want to take a card that is less good than Eatskeenth, but gives me a chance to play both it and the Resplendent Angel in the same deck. And I'm still, I'm not like after taking Deadweight here, which is what I took, I'm not locking in Black-White, but I'm going to play Resplendent Angel and I'm going to play White, I think. Is yeah. my mentality for the format. And that, I mean, that is, it's about as close to forcing as you can get, my friend. Like, I know you don't know No, because no. I've got all four color pairs as options. You know what I mean? Like, so, yeah, but you're forcing a color. You're getting sure. married to your first pick, whatever sort of like, I'm not saying this is wrong or bad, but like these are common like draft precautions or like missteps that people make that we we often caution against that I think is right to do here. Resplendent Angel is one of the best cards to start your draft with. Well, and I think so. this goes back to like, I'm really trying hard not to complain about the format, but there's so many packs that you look at in this format. And you see a pack and you think nothing matters here. Yes. Like, nothing in this pack matters at all in the slightest. Right. And so, so when like, you see when you get like power, this. yeah. So when you get power like this, like it's really important that you hang on so that like when you're muddling your way through those packs that have nothing that matters, you're still building a functional deck because then in those packs with nothing matters, you might still be picking up, you know, your one and a white deal forward when attacking or blocking creature. Whereas if you don't have a clear direction, you're just aimlessly wandering through some packs like picks five through ten right and so it's not like eats keenth isn't good or red green dinos isn't good it's just that it's the same idea with the polani's hatcher and then do you take staunch crewmate next it's like you could like staunch crewmate is that best card it's better than defossilize in a vacuum in a pack one pick one scenario but once you have polani's hatcher once you have resplendent angel like what's the world where you go oh i'll feel things out in the rest of the draft here and I'll take Eats Keenth here and then I'll see what's open red, green or a white deck. It's like, no, you're going to give the weight to the angel here as best you can. Well, and, and I think some of the, the danger of hedging too is the, the archetypes or the pillars, however you want to think about them, the pillars of the format, like there's not a lot of overlap between them. There's not a lot where you can like toe the line in a Naya deck that like, you get deep into red and maybe you're playing red white deck with resplendent angel or a red green deck with dinosaurs. Like there's not lots of bleed in that way. Like I think blue is really the only color that does that super well where you can mm-hmm. get deep into blue and then like figure out what you're pairing with blue other than green. A lot of the other colors, even if you're getting deep into a color, you're getting deep into cards of the color that pair well with the other color that you're planning to play already. So like if you're getting deep into red, you're you're still choosing like red cards that are going to go best in a red green dinosaurs beat deck, or you're choosing red cards that are going to go best in a red white, you know, tap two things deck or, or red blue artifacts. Like there might be a little bit of, of overlap, but like, you know, you're going to want to be aggressive. Like, you know, you, you know that, you know, that once you take a certain kind of card, you're already starting to push down one of those three paths. Right. And so there's next to no overlap between eats Keenth and resplendent angel. Correct. Yeah, there's no world where you're like, well, I could end up white, red and splash like, no, you're not doing that. Right. So deadweight pack one, pick two, moving on to pack one, pick three. See the following cards as options. There's a quicksand whirlpool, five and a white for the instant exile target creature cost three less to cast if it targets a tapped creature. That's the best white card in the pack. There's also Oltec Archaeologist, the five mana four, four that can scry through your rebuy an artifact. I had the privilege in the uh, play in yesterday to have Oltec Archaeologists and Kitesail Larsonist, which is actually insane 
because you get to turn your own thing into a treasure. Like let's say you're playing Runaway Boulder or that rare divination artifact, like any of these ETB artifacts, then you just turn your own thing into a treasure, sack it. Now your thing's in the graveyard. Boom, back with the archaeologists, even though I think archaeologists is a clunker. That's so cute and so (laughs) niche. (laughs) It's week four. What else am I supposed to talk about? Week four. And then best card of the pack, I think, is Earthshaker Dreadmaw. Four green green for a 6-6 trample and an ETBs draw a card for each other dinosaur creature you control. You're not hedging here if you didn't hedge for each skein. So I I think you're just happily taking a quicksand whirlpool to pair with your resplendent angel and feeling good about like trying to draft a black-white control deck. You could. I mean, I I do think you could. There's Dreadmaw. There's also Pathfinding Axe Draw and Poison Dart Frog here in terms of like green package. If you felt like green white was a strong deck, whatever, like I, th- I think you could take it. I really like the Whirlpool pick here. Yeah, it just gives you it gives you a clear plan. Like all three of the cards you've picked can go in the same deck and have a cohesive goal, which is I want the game to go long so I can find my resplendent angel. And I, I know if I do keep pairing black with it, which I don't have to do, could move off black for other cards that I see. Certainly after taking Quicksand Whirlpool here as well to get deeper into the white, that that's more the reason than anything I take, think to take Quicksand Whirlpool is that you can pivot off black. But if you don't, you know black's going to give you recursion to replay your Splendid Angel if it gets dealt with. Yeah, absolutely. I, what do you think if there's someone out there who says, yeah, but what well, you could take Eatskeenth and then you get Dreadmaw, which we are saying is the best card in the pack, and now you're pushing down a Dino's Path. Is that so wrong? That's what, that's what I was going to address next. I'm <laughs> glad you asked the question. I think that's worse than where we're at now. Yeah. With Resplendent Angel, Deadweight, and Quicksand Whirlpool. Because then I think you're like maybe tricking yourself into pivoting off of Resplendent Angel, which I don't think you're supposed to do. Well, and, you know, there's, there's certainly a possibility that you get something as powerful as Earthshaker Dreadmaw in the Dino's life, that as we're seeing here. But you're not guaranteed it. And, and certainly power level is about to drop in the next pick or two that you're going to have to make that decision. And I would just rather not fingers crossed. Let's see what happens. Like you feels like you're giving the draft a reason to push you away from resplendent angel. And I just don't know why you want to even put yourself in that position. Right. So moving on to pick four, see the following cards as options. There's an iron, this is paw, great. an yeah. iron paw aspirant, one and a white for one, two ETBs put a plus and plus one counter on a creature. There's cosmium blast, one and a white instant deal four to an attacking or blocking creature. And then there's also Spring loaded saw blades, one in a white flash, ETBs deals five to a tapped creature and opponent controls, and you craft with artifact to turn it into a five five chariot. Love taking the saw blades here. And you're also making, I think, a bit of a statement about the kind of white deck you're drafting here by taking saw blades and not taking aspirant. Yeah, it's that I want to be a control deck. Like yeah. I, I want the game to go long because I have a bomb. Quicksand Whirlpool plays well in a control deck. Like once I have Whirlpool, Saw Blades, Angel. I think I am locking in white at this point and locking in white control, mm-hmm. not necessarily pairing it with black, but I, I think I'm probably only likely to pair white with black or blue at this point with the cards that I've selected. Yeah, it'd be really hard to draft, I think, white, red or white, green control. Yeah. So, but there's also a Dreadmaw's ire here, again, to go along with like the dinosaur's life that could mm-hmm. have been. But I, I still think you're in a worse spot. I think that's debatable, uh, honestly, Like, but it's debatable only because we've seen very strong uncommon into very strong uncommon that happened to be on color with the Eatskeenth. That's not going to happen. Whereas you don't need that. Like if spring loaded saw blades isn't in this pack, you're thrilled to take Cosmian Blast. Right. If Cosmian Blast isn't in this pack, like you're not thrilled to take Aspirin, but you can take Aspirin. And now maybe you're going more towards an aggro white route. And that opens up red or green or some flavors of blue to you, you know, like you don't have to shoot the moon in the way that I do think you kind of do. It's just that this draft happens to, to let you to let you do it when you if you if you did take Eats Keenth pick two. Right. And you know me as a drafter, usually I'm bemoaning paths that could have been. Yeah. I, yeah like yeah. this format has kicked that out of me this last week and a half. Like I am eyes on the prize, baby. I hope so, that stays true. <laughs> so pick five. Uh again not a great pack. There's good cards for the green red deck that could have been. Um, there's a death cap marionette here, one in a black for the one one death touch. ETB's mill two cards and cogwork wrestler. If you wanted to, you know, feel around in blue, uh, blue for the one two flash. Target opponent 
creature gets minus two minus O until end of turn. But you haven't seen enough other good blue. Like blue's pretty obviously not flowing at this point. We've mentioned no blue cards at all in the first four picks, and blue's very deep. Yeah, we've seen three didact echoes to let you know how good <laughs> blue has been in these packs. Uh, and then in green, there's tendrils of the Myco Tyrant, the two two that can pay seven to turn lands into seven sevens. And there's also a very good card in Malamet Battleglyph green for the sorcery that card is a beating yeah uh, choose target creature you control and target creature you don't if the creature you control entered the battlefield this turn put a plus and plus one counter on it and then those creatures fight each other yeah and you take the death cat marionette here i think pretty clear in terms of your path not locking in black as a second color but you're pretty close i would say like it's just all very clearly on plan and then when you get another chance pick six you're off to the races, right? That's the two and a black. You can mill two and then return two creatures. Like it's just so clear what you're doing. And it's so clear th- this flavor of black white. You know, I, I was just cautioning, like, don't draft black white. Or if you do, just make sure nothing's, you know, out of place. So far, nothing is out of place. It's just so clear. You want to find Resplendent Angel, you want to cast it, you want to win with it. Well, and I'm trying to do like a more a black deck than a white deck. Like my uh-huh. plan at this point is to be a black descend deck that is hopefully going to mill my Resplendent Angel and then rebuy it with another chance. Pick seven, I get a Soul Coil Viper. Like this deck, the final product had many ways to mm-hmm. rebuy, rebuy Resplendent Angel. Unfortunately, my Resplendent Angel did got exiled a fair amount. <laughs> in some of the games oh no but i did like my deck quite a bit yeah and you know it it mentioned you mentioned and not ending up half and half that was a very clean start to the draft if we look at the final build here i do still kind of end up half and half which is a danger of black white i do have my guidewing ruin lurker bat quad iron paw aspirant like yikes yeah i do i am half and half but i still i think like the way i navigated the start of the draft the the deck ended up going five three yeah the start is beautiful the final product a little less something something (laughs) to be desired like the packs just didn't let me continue down the route i was going because i did have a very clear plan it just didn't quite work out that way which is again one of the dangers of black white for sure all right any parting thoughts before we go here? Oh, I will say if you're if you're playing in, you know, there's another qualifier for the qualifier this coming Friday on Arena. That'll be best of three. And then if you are playing in the the Arena Champs qualifier this weekend, I think caves are, you know, we often talk about getting power from your lands in sealed. I do think if you can maximize your caves in sealed, we which we really haven't talked about that much for this format despite I've played quite a bit of sealed so far, like maximizing the power of your caves is a really good spot to look for in your sealed pool, whether that's, you know, getting your cave payoffs to work like cave in or whether it's just like letting, Oh, I've got two red caves and a green cave, letting that maybe steer you a little bit towards what that color pair looks like all right juicy sealed tidbit you love to see it (laughs) great place to wrap us up thank you as always to salty pretzels for our intro and outro music make sure you give it a listen thanks so much to cool stuff inc for sponsoring this podcast if you're heading over to the website for any and all purchases you know getting those those booster boxes for your loved ones or maybe just treating yourself please use checkout code lol when you do to let them know we sent you there and to get five percent off anything you purchase you can find all of our content on our website at lordsoflimited.com links to to our previous episodes, our tier list, our merch, courtesy of T Public, and our Patreon page, all that good stuff at our website. If you've got any feedback about the show or any questions, shoot us an email at lordsoflimited at gmail.com. Thanks so much for listening, and we'll catch you next week for another episode of Lords of Limited. Thanks, everybody. See you later.